So one of my corporate offices, it's in bright colors, has big bold pictures on there. And I tell everybody, I want you when you walk in here to be in the most creative state that you were in your life. And that was when you were a child. I literally want them to start thinking like kids again and being free of thought and, and don't worry about failure and come into this environment and just have fun and think about things in a different way. And I use bright colors and things to take them back to that time in their life when they were most creative. For the cause, we fight for the cause. A circle of winners, a circle of winners. We're business outlaws, we're business outlaws. You know that we win it. We fight for the cause, a circle of winners. We're business outlaws, we're business outlaws. We're business outlaws. Hey guys, welcome to Business Outlaws. I'm Jamie Fox with Big Mike and Chris Collins. Here we're making you the fly on the wall with these beautiful entrepreneur men. They have shared business ideas, the struggles they've been through, the ups and downs. We are sharing those with you today. You might know Big Mike, advanced nutrients owner, also Chris Collins, business performance expert. Here we are. How you guys doing? Doing great. Doing great. Oh, I like that. Really good. Yeah. So Google recently conducted a survey to see what millennials think about popular brands. It turns out that brands with an entrepreneurial story behind, behind them are considered the coolest. But those stories have also helped to develop a bunch of misconceptions about entrepreneurship. And so today we're going to talk about the seven common misconceptions that the younger generation has right. about entrepreneurship. So the seven misconceptions. Here's the, here's the first one. If you smoke dope, you can't kill it in business. Smoke the ganja. That's the misconception? Yeah, for sure it is. <laughs> I got that in slow mo, bro. Snapchatting that, or what are you doing? I got it in slow mo. Wow, there you go. I'm gonna have to like slow it down at a certain point. <coughs> got that slow mo, big daddy. How do you feel, Mike? Fine, alert, happy. I got a little bit of dopamine flowing now. Okay, so let <clears throat> let's do number one. So the first one here in our list of seven is that education and entrepreneurship are incompatible. And I think a lot of people think that because Steve Jobs, That's such bullshit. Zuckerberg's Gates no, all dropped out of college. You be both. Just because you're not in college doesn't mean you stop learning. It might be a narrow band that you're studying, and that's why it's like Singularity University is there. Because the person who's going to give us the cure for some kind of brain cancer or something is not going to be a well-rounded person. They're going to have a very, very narrow band. So listen, <laughs> if the schools aren't teaching you that, well, you owe it upon yourself. If you want to get into that sector, go out and learn everything you can about that narrow niche that goes 10 miles deep because you're an expert there. And when you do that, wow, really great things will happen to you in your career. Well, speaking of 10 miles deep, I watch porn and I'm not a porn star. I mean, that, you know, that. Right. So you're saying. Applies. So you're the entrepreneur. But, so porn? what are you saying? Wait, hang on. So you're saying, but in the bedroom you are, but you never studied to be one? Maybe. I mean, I don't, a lady doesn't. Mm. Are your skills sure. 10 miles deep? <laughs> no. No. Are you sure? I'm positive. Right. No. <laughs> Do you get complaints about your skills? Never. Never? No. Mm -mm. Do you actively seek new ones? I mean, I think education is important. Wow. No. How do you educate <laughs> yourself on that? 
do you test drive a car? You see how fast the car can go, how slow it goes, how it works with turns. You so know, you have a lot of experience with a lot of different cars. No, not at all. Okay. I don't like to be naked in front of strangers, so I've never actually had a one night stand. Wow, never. Yeah, that's good. Interesting. Probably. Story. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. That's good that you're not a slut, Jamie. Thanks. <laughs> but you know, I mean, I think that uh, it's easy to <clears throat> to educate yourself. You don't have to go to school just for that, but it, you can um, you know apply it to your daily life. Hey, if you need to learn something, go out there and get hire experts, get buy books, get online, you know, go to seminars. Heck, you know, even go to colleges. You can sit in the, uh, I'm, I'm, you know, as long as you pay for the course, you can sit on the course. Well, what made you not want to go to college? I knew I was going to, I just, I just wanted to own my own thing and go into business. In fact, I knew that around 14, 15 years old. I knew that all this shit that they were teaching me really wasn't going to make a difference. It wasn't going to matter to where I wanted to go. And I didn't really know where the hell I wanted to go. I just know that I was going to go out and start a business. And I did. What about you, Chris? Well, I think that just like Zuckerberg and Gates, I'm a genius. And so <laughs> the reason the reason why I think us geniuses don't do good in school is because the school system is built... For, you know, our school system was built for the industrial revolution and it was to get people to come out of school and be able to work in a factory and produce. But it wasn't built for you to excel, for you to become an entrepreneur. So a lot of times really good entrepreneurs don't fit into the school system because the school system is about getting you to follow rules and kind of containing you. And really good entrepreneurs, their gift is they connect dots. And so they're, they're not... If you're really good at connecting dots, your point of reference can't be the rule book because if you're just following rules, you'll never look outside of that to find new ways to do things. So if you were following rules, you would Uber would have never been created. Like there's a lot of businesses, Apple would have never been created because you're following rules. So I think the reason why entrepreneurs and this comes up a lot as a subject is that our school system isn't built for entrepreneurs. It's built for one thing and we haven't changed it that much. I mean, it's a classroom with rows. You know, you think about a good entrepreneur or a genius like myself, like rows of people in chairs staring at somebody at the front end of the room you know, and being told when you can go to the bathroom, when class is over is torture. Like I hated being in class. Like I couldn't wait for a school to be over. I couldn't concentrate. They wouldn't let me walk around. Like, you know, if you're, if you have ADD and you're thinking a lot, like sitting in a chair for an hour, seven times a day, like the, the classes that I liked were like the ones that were like water polo or, you know, PE, things like that. But just regular class was torture. Do you both feel like, you learn fat, like your brain works faster than what the teacher could have taught you. Oh, like yeah. you're like, oh, you're already three weeks ahead of uh, course. Yeah. So I was in algebra class and they said, Hey, we're going to give you two weeks worth of work and you can work at your own pace. So I went up to her and I said, Hey, if I finish all this like tomorrow, like, can I have the other days off and just like read whatever I want? She goes, sure. She didn't think I was going to do it. Next day I come back, I hand her all the goddamn paperwork, sat down and read for the next 13 days. Depends what the motivation was. Yeah, but um, didn't you ever feel like in class that you just didn't, like that system wasn't built for you? Oh, uh, yes. Absolutely was not built for the way I was thinking. It was boring. Extremely, extremely, extremely boring. I I was just wired different. 
I mean, the the bigger question is hopefully when younger this younger generation gets into office, they will change the way that we approach our educational system and not make it for the industrial revolution, but change it for the next phase of what we want to be as a country because yeah. it is very stifling. Yeah. What could they change? Well, listen, if you follow Moore's law and, and the computing power, you can pretty well map out where some technologies are going to be and what's going to be needed in the future. I mean, there's people who do this all day long and you can read their stuff and see where we're all headed. And when they built Siri, they built it three years before the technology on the internet existed for it to work. Huh. They dovetailed their working on it at the same time that the technology became available and then employed it. There's lots of companies out there that are doing that. So you have to stay ahead. I, I, I also think like in some schools, like they don't really give out grades for it. Like if you go to certain art schools or programming schools or things like that, you're not really getting a grade. You're accomplishing a skill. And so I think that there are parts of the school system that should be less about grades and more about the experience that we give the student and what they accomplish coming out of it, what the end product is that they create, not always just making them learn the past. I think there's big lessons in the past, but a lot of school is, is um, you know, antiquated lessons that have an agenda. Less agenda, I think, in the school and more about the individual. So creative kids they'll be able to function in that environment and, and thrive because right now in the environment I've seen really creative kids. They hate school. You can point them out. Yeah. They're yeah. the ones fidgeting. They're the ones rocking their desk. <laughs> Staring like, around. Yeah. Like you can point them out. They're you the can ones see trying there's always to one or two go of them. to school because it just to them it's pointless and meaningless because their brains are wired different and they're going to be people that go out and create. Now I would say to that, if you were to harness that power, you were to teach them the right skill sets to build that creativity, I think we'd have some pretty good engineers, architects, uh, all kinds of ways our society would benefit from that. So should people stay in school or yeah, drop well, out? Yeah, listen, yeah, they should. And, and, and our school system has to recognize that not everybody's the same, and they need to put things in place so we can maximize our ROI. And that are, that's our tax dollars that pays for this education. I want a return. I want, well, I want really smart kids that in, enjoy their experience and take that good feeling into society and create stuff for us that's going to make a difference. I, I think that high, you should finish high school, even if it's torture. But I think college, I wouldn't go out and get a bunch of college student loans unless you know what you want to do right. and unless you fit in. And so take some time off and figure it out. But don't rack up a bunch of loans not knowing how you're going to contribute or change society. Or like have a plan. Off. Like you can be a lawyer, but make sure you want to be a lawyer. because. And there's some things you have to go to school with because you have to get that degree. You have to get the credentials. You have to be able to pass the state boards. So you're going to have to get educated. I think there's one. Um, I know a lot of people that have law degrees that don't practice law. But I do think the one you know, the one thing that does pay off is a law degree because in business, there's a, there's a lot to know about that. And, um, mm -hmm. it is always an advantage in negotiations and That's things right. like that. If you, if you have a law degree, yeah, a lot of the top guys in Hollywood have law degrees, yeah. right? Yeah. Best contract usually always wins in a court of law. Yeah. So, okay. The next one, 
That's a good one too, by the way. The next one, there is an idea that great products don't need marketing. So if you have a great product, you don't need to market this it. This is such bullshit and a fallacy. Even viral videos, people think, oh, I'm just going to put on a really great video and this is millions and millions of views and it's going to go viral because I'm a fucking creative genius. You just may be, unless you have a plan to launch that sucker and put financial resources behind it, the odds are it's not going to make it viral. There's a lot of stuff that's being pushed out there the public's unaware of that it has this whole network of influencers they use and they put financial resources and juice behind it because you have to get uh, some accelerant in the beginning. And so, yeah, a lot of, so we, we kind of been around people that have those viral videos that go crazy. Mm -hmm. And that I think the thing that most people don't realize is one that that was created that outcome. They worked really hard at it. And then, Second of all, they're very aware of what their back end is and what they're selling, even if it doesn't appear that that's the case. But mm-hmm. they, it's all very planned. You don't see too many people that don't understand the execution of the back end and how to monetize something that are successful. And you have to learn how to get it in front of your potential client or customer. So there's there's this great book or prospect and. Um, you know, the purpose here is to to kind of share things that you wouldn't normally hear, people wouldn't norm- normally tell you about. But there's this book called The Baron Letters, and it's Gary Halbert's book he wrote from jail. I don't. Do you know why he's in jail? No, tax evasion or Probably. something. But he's the he's he, passed away. Oh. He's the godfather of copywriting, and he he gives an analogy in there how he was teaching a class, and he says to the class. Um, we're, we're all going to have a business selling hamburgers or something. And he says, you can pick any advantage you want. Right. What's the advantage? And so one person says, I want to have this special meat in my burger that's hand ground or whatever. Somebody else says, I want to have my mom's homemade sweet bun on the hamburger. And they go through and everybody has like this advantage. They want to make their burger the best. And then it comes to him and he says, no problem. You can have, you all can have that and I'll still beat you. He goes, my advantage is I want a hungry crowd. Oh, I like that. And so I think a lot of times there's products out there. People have ideas. We get pitched all the time, right? Somebody would be like, oh my God, I got this idea. It's going to change the world. And I'm just looking at the idea and I go, this is going to take so much time to launch this. And money. You have no idea. Ideas are are just, man, people, you know, everyone's got them. They pop them out. Uh, we like, I like to see people who have taken, you know, some initiative, make a blueprint, make a prototype, pr- have some, you know, marketing, some, you know, prove whether it works in the marketplace or, or something. Because then you get skin in the game. You can, anyone can just shoot ideas out of their assholes all day long. And, and it, people can copy not, your idea. Yeah. They I could. would love to shoot an idea out of my asshole. That'd be amazing. Well, <laughs> well, people think, and then they don't realize. People do that all the time. They don't realize how much money is involved in, okay, is this thing, can I get a patent on it? And if it is, then you got a patent. Do you have enough money to defend that patent? If you do get the patent and tell the whole world your secret, there's all these things you have to think about. Yeah. So, anyways. Like the ShamWow guy. Like, I mean, I would never want to buy a ShamWow, but then I watched those commercials and I was like, yeah. I want, I need that, apparently. And it works. And yeah. if, if you just seen ShamWow down at the local auto center, just hanging there, you want to give it a second thought. You'd probably yeah. buy 
whatever the the house brand, whatever they're they're selling there. But hey, you're exposed to his marketing, his message, mm-hmm. and, you know. And now go, oh, I want that one. You know, I know ex- because I went when I was in the same situation. I bought the the this one, the, the Shamu or what do they call it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also too, it's an experience. Like he gave, he entertained you. So not only were you like getting sold a product, but he like manipulated you into having fun. And he was loud and boisterous and <laughs> watch this. And you're like, whoa. So then when you see it, you're like that same feeling is connected with the product. You see the product, you're yes. like, that was a good, that made me feel good. I laughed. I want to buy that. You immediately feel happy. And by the way, happier. all great branding people go for feelings. Exactly. Their lifestyle that they do, everything. They When you see that brand, they want you to feel. Mm-hmm. Because that's the last thing that you're going to do. You're going to feel it kinesthetically inside. And that's inside of you. You just feel it in your gut. Oh, yeah. it feels good. <sighs> well, that's when you know you're at the end of the decision-making process. So when a human beings at the end of the decision-making process, they want you to make feel good because you've already been in your brain going, hey, I've made my decision. I feel good about this product. You're going to go out and buy it. Yeah. At least go pick it up and check it out. Yeah. It's good. Okay, number yeah. three, it's kind of like number two. There is this idea that most successful businesses are based on the best idea. That most successful businesses are based on the best idea. Absolutely not. It's the ability to execute and get that idea out there, right? Right, because you have to form a belief system. For, when you're launching into a new category, you have to form a belief system and have the people have to believe that that is the best. Not necessarily is. However, if you can sell it the right way, it will be. Case in point, beta versus VHS. I know a lot of you are young, you're millennials out there, might want to look it up on the internet. There is two forms of videotape out there a long time ago, and beta was superior, but VHS won because they had a better plan of adoption, people going out and using it. Another case in point, Instagram stories versus Snapchat. They went after the Snapchat business with Instagram stories, and they did it better. Hmm. Yeah, that's the thing is it's easy to copy good ideas. The execution is the part hard. So mm-hmm. Facebook has the infrastructure they, they the and they yep, execute. Exactly. And they went to the celebrities first. Yep. Celebrities pushed it out. Then, you know, the, it just gets uh, it gets that initial push. Wow, it happened so fast. It looked so easy. Now, that, that the plan that they had, they put one in place and they executed well on, on all fronts and it was adopted. And now Snapchat is paying the price for that. And Snapchat reformatted, reformatted their whole layout. Now you mm-hmm. go on there, you're like, I'm so confused. I don't even know how to watch my stories anymore. So they kind of shot themselves in the foot with that. They got a little too overzealous. They're like, we got to compete. We got to be better now. And they just changed everything. And now everybody hates it. Everybody talks shit about yeah. it. I think another example of that is headphones. So Bose has the best noise canceling system out there in headphones. Right. The best technology, like hands down, yeah. it's the best. But Beats sells more headphones. And Beats yep. is about the, they get marketing, they're selling a lifestyle. Mm-hmm. They don't talk about noise canceling. They don't care. Yeah. They don't have and to. So it's, ne- it's never about the, it's really never about the features and benefits. It's, ab- it's about the, the bigger emotion and what you're, the bigger problem you're solving or emotion you're contributing yeah. to. Oof. Okay, next one. Number four. There is this idea that smart employees don't need to be managed. Oh, sure. <laughs> where are, the, where want, are those employees be, at? Yes. If you want the patients <laughs> running the asylum, that's a good strategy. <laughs> One of the best uh, sayings I ever heard is somebody said, how many people are working for you? And this guy goes, oh, about half. 
How do you guys keep track of that? Like, how do you guys know? Systems. Yeah. But like what kind of systems? How, like how you start the day? What do you talk about? What's the culture inside of that system? Are they all happy? Uh, what numbers job, are you what, reporting? What, what, yeah, what numbers are you reporting? What, what for every job that they have as as a cell, they have SOPs so they can perform that job. And as they're going along and learning new skills, they're making new SOPs. Right. Because you have to be able to know how to run your business. If that person, something should happen to them, another person has to be able to step in and deliver. I, I think, too, like a, a part of this question that I think we miss is that it's also about how you play as a team player too, because I don't think like in my company, there aren't any positions where you aren't impacting or working with other people. So I don't know that you necessarily want somebody that you would just leave alone. It wouldn't, that wouldn't really exist. You need a system. So you need a system of systems. So you have all these different systems for different departments and, and all these things that you need. You need a system to run that. And once that happens, people follow chain of command, things happen and, they get done the way they're supposed to with yeah. a lot less waste. I, I will say about that point that the stronger your culture and the stronger your systems are, yes. the easier it is for good employees. Really? So oh, yeah. The and the culture. easier it is for everybody. It, it makes being there. A lot of times, if you're running your company right, people much rather be at the office at work than being at home. Yeah, there's this great. Can I can I read this, Mike, or is it too far off point? That culture quote I sent you. No, what are you reading? So this is um, the Maps of Meaning by Jordan Peterson, and he has this thing in here. I've never heard anybody describe culture as good as he does, but it's kind of heady, so you got to give it a second to sink in. But he says um, something we cannot see protects us from something we do not understand. The thing we cannot see is culture. It is an internal manifestation, the thing we do not understand in the chaos that gave rise to culture. If the structure of culture is disrupted, unwillingly, chaos returns. We will do anything, anything to defend ourselves against the return. And that's, I mean, I've never heard a better definition of culture. Oh, yeah. Because a good culture makes people feel safe. Yeah. They feel secure. And it makes them want to perform yes, because they want to feed to the bigger, the bigger thing. They want to, mm-hmm. they have a cause. And so it's bigger. And so what he's Being saying part in there, of something bigger than yourself in society lot, when there's no structure and systems and laws, people will eventually put those structures and systems and laws in because everybody can't, there just can't be anarchy. Right. And so even when anarchy becomes something it will eventually look at the united states how we defend what we believe in yeah absolutely we do so number five customers don't know what they need which is true i mean you guys sell a product because you want people to know what it is but you're also telling them like you need this you're making them feel good to want to buy it we listen to them as well and you get all kinds of insights so there's that basic I call it just baseline of you should be be doing that. And then there's thinking out further ahead. They may not understand some technologies that are that are coming out. Uh, you do. You see things from a different vantage point than they do. And so you implement those ideas and uh, put it, make it part of your strategy. And if you got a, if you're a big enough company, enough money behind it, it gets adopted. Again. It doesn't happen overnight because it's such a grand idea. 
Right. It has to be a good idea, but it has to be marketed correctly to change the belief system of the person who is holding the object or using whatever. I, I hope that makes sense. I think that there's a misconception about this one, Mike, because I think like Steve Jobs and Zuckerberg, I know Steve Jobs has very much made the point that, you know, I don't ask people what they want. There's no focus groups. I, I created. I guarantee and he's listening it. to his friends and other people. He, they're influencing. He's being influenced some way, someplace. And that data that's going into his head is giving him the idea that he sees in the future or whatever. Do you feel like you get influenced at all, Big Mike? We all do. Every yeah. single one of us has been influenced here. We believe we're the greatest country of the world, America. We like There's all kinds of things. Uh, state of California, you know, the weather's the best in the world. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. I haven't been in every goddamn place around the world to really see. So we have these belief systems. They permeate our, our life. Uh, USC doesn't like UCLA. They, each one thinks that they're better. So it's, it's at many different levels. You got the Muslims, and they don't like the Christians. And mm -hmm. it just goes on and on and on. It, beliefs are the fundamental, like, glue that all holds us together as a society and you start tinkering with those and some really great things can happen and some really shitty things can happen like i don't know hitler so yeah. and you know they had to sell that belief to the german people and they adopted it whether they liked it or not yeah. you know so it, it can be used in horrible ways and it can be used in really really great ways like like countries of Norway and stuff, you can say what you want about socialism. They take care of their own. Each one of those people there is in crone. They're each millionaires. Their sovereign fund is a trillion dollars, and they don't have debt. So yeah, culture can make a huge difference. You you have to when you're when you're creating any sort of product, you have to pay attention to what the hungry crowd wants and that it serves them. And so I would liken this to being a stand up comedian. Like, I don't know. We live in L.A., right? So do you know people that are stand-up comedians? Chris D'Elia. And that aren't very good? Oh, I don't know any that aren't really good. I know a couple that go all the time and they're doing open mics, but they're just not very good. Yeah. And then you take, like, somebody who's, like, a Chris Rock or a Dave Chappelle or Louis. There's, like, maybe five that can play a stadium of 30,000 in our country, yeah. right? It's like Chris Rock. Too. Who? Chris D'Elia. Kevin Hart. Kevin Hart. Yeah. Kevin Hart did like 60,000 people, right? In a stadium. No, he's like it's a, it's a unique thing to be able to make that many people laugh. Yeah. And do you know how fast, you know how hard it is to build? He has to go out on that stage and everyone in that audience is going, entertain me, motherfucker. And he has got to build rapport mm -hmm. fast, light blistering speed. My brother was a headliner, famous and comedian. Uh, comedian, yes. I put, <clears throat> and I like, we put, I watched him in sales. This guy can sell so well because of the rapport that he builds immediately, like at light speed, and he just, just like goes in and closes them. It, it's there's it's no amazing. harder gig in the world than stand up comedy. It, it is. It's it just is, you. So he's got to take Can't that whole that whole stadium. He's got to get them vibing on the same frequency. And when he does that, it really looks simple. Looks like magic. Now he's just he's an artist. He understands people, psychology, and how to get that happening. And so uh, there's there's this important connection. I think that I heard Jerry Seinfeld or somebody say this about, and I'll bring this back to business. But he said um, they were he was talking to somebody that he's friends with, and they'll do these like boys weekends to hunt and stuff. And he's be, he'd say like, isn't it funny that we have these friends, and when we're hunting, they keep us laughing the whole time, but when they get on stage, they're not funny. Confidence is a big key. 
Well, I don't, I don't know confidence. I think it's their, it's their, the way they process failure and success that makes them get to where they're going. And so you take those guys that everybody tells them their whole life, oh, you're funny. And then you put them on stage and how they process that, that response and connection, like Mike is saying, that rapport and how they figure that part out is what makes them, you know, makes or breaks them. So there's this great documentary called, um, the comedian, I think, yeah, by comedian. Seinfeld, the yep. comedian, and uh, they just actually put it up on Netflix. But I had it on DVD a long time ago, and it just shows Jerry creating an hour's headlining thing in the amount of pain that he goes to to do it. The he's like going in and doing ten minutes here, ten minutes there in New York. Like he'll hit every club in one night over and over, and then he's like at the end of like a long period of time, he's like, okay, I got fifteen minutes of good material. Like he's testing and testing, and so when I've seen these the comedians that are friends of mine when a crowd or a show goes bad, their thing is, oh, it wasn't my crowd. Well, what's interesting is you never hear Jerry say that in that documentary that it wasn't my crowd. Because yeah. if you're going to pay for play for 30,000 people, it has to be universally funny. <laughs> it has to be universally appealing. Right. So it doesn't matter if you're in a prison or at a comedy club in the South versus the North or the West. And so you, the way that you process failure and paying attention to what people want. And I would say, now you bring that back to business. If you pay attention, your customers are telling you what they want. But if you're telling them what they want, you're not going to be successful. So you really need to, to pay attention. And going back to a topic we've talked about, the customer experience. I think a lot of times when customers don't know that what they want, it's because we haven't made it easy for them to buy. It's not that they don't know what they want. They're there. You're solving a problem. So every business solves a problem. So you have a restaurant, you're a doctor, whatever it is, you're selling nutrients. They want nutrients. They want to go to the doctor and get a facelift. But then you go in and you're like, hey, I want to have a facelift. And there's 45 different decisions, all that seem like life-changing decisions. And then you got to go home and think about it and ask all your friends their opinion. Instead of directing them to the best solution for them, and here it is, and not giving them too many choices. So, I I don't know anybody in business who's been successful that isn't testing. Facebook, Apple, they're testing. They know more about us than we know about ourselves. So the idea that they're just throwing it out there and we're buying is nuts. Right? They've tested. I can before they bring any product out, they already know. They've already split tested it multiple different ways. They call it growth hacking these days, and they already see what a small select group of folks would really do with that. And based on that hypothesis, and they feel strongly about it, they bring it out to the marketplace. But mm-hmm. they already proved it to themselves before they brought it out. It didn't magically, hey, we got this idea, and we're just going to put it in, and we're going to force it down their throats. They already had a very, very strong idea that proved itself out. Yeah, like Zuck. So the way they do it at Facebook, I've heard Zuckerberg talk about this: is they give their programmers ten thousand customers, and so Facebook is like millions of ten thousand customer like slivers, and they give them that sliver, and then they test whatever they want on that group, and then if it works, they bring it back and they talk about it. But they'll have ten thousand Facebook users to test whatever they want on, and if it improves the experience, they stay on longer. All they want them to do in the end of the day is be on there longer. So if it makes it more addictive, then it's something they want to talk about rolling into the whole base. But they've got thousands of programmers testing every day on how they can keep you on that longer. So 
do we know what we want or did they find out what we wanted and then give it back to us? They're listening to their customers right. is they're what they're doing. Your brain. I mean, they're saying, does it release more dopamine when they're on there? They want you to keep releasing dopamine and staying on that site as long as you can. And they have all kinds of what they call compulsion loops. They build these mechanisms in that make you want to keep coming back and checking and doing this and doing that. And every time you do, you get a hit of dopamine. Boom. Because they've put this on fMRIs they've looked at people's brains and the same area where cocaine lights up your brain so does that phone when you use it and engage with it well, also people, wow. people don't want to feel people don't yep. want to feel left out so if Instagram and Facebook is constantly shoving stuff that's current in your face you're like I know what this person's doing at this time where they're at who they're hanging out with what this person's story is on Facebook like you are up to date on everyone's life it's you're kind of nosy in a way but your average person <clears throat> just thinks it's an experience and something that they're doing. They don't understand how they're buying they're, bait. how Facebook is the experience becomes an addiction, listening to what they want and giving it back to them over and over again. Exactly. And so I would say like back to just to bring this full circle back to my analogy of the comedian, the comedians that are playing the stadiums and the ones that are struggling in the clubs, the biggest difference that I've seen, and this goes for any business, is that when it's not going good, they blame the crowd and they're not listening to what the crowd is telling them right. and then trying over and over and over again until they get it right. They're right. looking for a magic pill and there's no magic pill. Like it's work. You watch that Seinfeld documentary. It is. There is no mistake that that guy is where he's at. He put in the work. Yeah. Yeah. Still does. People want the magic pill. Here's, yeah. here's what people have to realize. Professionals make it look easy. And that that is the mark of a true professional. You just go, wow, I could do that. It looks so simple. You go up there and do it. And you go, whoa. Yeah. Like it's the same thing with TV hosting. People are like, oh, that sounds easy. Like you get paid to talk <laughs> well, in, front in front of people. I 50,000 people and, and, and entertain like, them for three then hours. Then you put a camera hours. in front of them and they go, right. blah, blah, blah. I'll never forget when yeah. I shot my first TV show on a, on a nationwide network. And it's just, you're in a huge set. There's just the camera people and everything. I mean, there's probably, I'd say, 30 people on set. As soon as I got in front of the camera, the producer was like, oh, by the way, just remind yourself that you're going to be in like over 800,000 TVs and, and 800,000 um, homes when this airs. And I'm like, Right huh? before it goes on. Wait a minute, what? And I'm like, oh, my God. Like, I just think it's just these 30 people. But then you think like, okay, this is going to be broadcasted everywhere. Same thing like if I host something like at High Times Cup or Musink. I sit in front of... 20,000 people and it's just like, and it's an immediate thing. It's like, Hey, I'm here. I don't, there's nothing in my head. I don't get um, nervous. It's just something that clicks on in me. So when someone's like, Oh, that sounds easy. You get paid to talk. I'm like, easy. Like you think it's easy to, oh, to yeah. do that. Go ahead. Take this microphone, send it from those people and, and ask relevant questions. Yeah. And, and be yourself. That's a hard job to be yourself. You know, it's easy to be somebody else. It is. I think that in that, um, in that thought is a funny thing that, People will say that to me, like I'll say, hey, you know, for your business, you should make some products or you should make videos online. And they'll go, oh, well, I'm not good like you on video. Yeah. And I'm like, you don't have to go back too far to look at how I wasn't good on video on my YouTube channel. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, See, you, yeah. you just got to do it. Like, you got to listen to people. Mm -hmm. You got to constantly improve. But nobody wakes up good on video or on no. TV. It's art. It's a, you have to it's find hard. your groove. And if I look at my first hosting reel till now, I'm like, oh, I've improved so much, but that was because I put in the work. I watched those things and I'm like, I was weak there. This needs to be stronger. I don't like my voice there. I just critique myself and then improve it. Instead of being hard on myself and being like, I can't do this. I'm like, I can do this. I just need to tighten this up. Exactly. Yeah. 
That's fun. Good. Okay, number six. There is this idea that success will either come quickly or not at all. Success is a journey. It took me 18 years to build advanced nutrients to over $100 million a year. 18 years. Didn't come overnight, but success was, I could see it, it was measurable, and it was growing every single year. And I'm still continuing to grow and learn and study. Yeah, but there was a time where the goal was 20 and then 50. And each five. one of those were a no, celebration, are, right? Uh, yeah, a million, five million, 10, 50, 100. The next one will be 300. One billion. <laughs> half a billion. Yeah. And a, one B. Yeah. It's a journey. Oh, one B. Yeah. I like that. Hey, yo, what's your company worth? One B. <laughs> the the point is, and I, I love to say this, but the point is there isn't going to be a point where you put your feet up on the desk Mm-mm. and you say, I won life. No. That's when you die. Yeah. It is. You ever see, like, what, there's so many stories purpose? of guys that yeah. sell their company and then they die a year later because they have nothing to do. Yeah. So it's. The average life expectancy of someone who, after they retire for a man, is like 6.8 years. Wow. I think I just can't wait to retire. But that, no. I'm going to work till the day I die. Yeah. Be something. I never think about it. might be retirement. charity or whatever, but I will be active. My brain will be stimulated and I will be doing something. Like bitches. <laughs> Could you imagine 100? I'll be like, hey, look at that sweet 75-year-old lady. Wow. Hey, where's she at? Oh, she's at Martha's Retirement Home. But that's a really good place. They got that happy hour at the end of the day. This old creep. She has Instagram. (laughs) So we're supposed to believe. Hey, listen. I've talked to people working at homes. That shit goes on. Like the old people still getting it on. And I've talked to a lot of old people because I'm curious about just shit like that. Yeah. I talk to old men. I go, do you still look at women like, you know, those never stops. Because their brain isn't old, just their bodies. (laughs) Yeah. So wait, but you're trying to convince us that at 90, you're going to have a 70-year-old girlfriend? I fucking believe it. 25-year-old girlfriend yeah, you're talking saying, about. Like no 40, way. 40. That no, would be my nurse. There's no way he would date someone that's like wait, 10 years closer to his You're well, cheating on your girlfriend with your nurse? <laughs> Who knows? She's well, I, might be single. I might be single. By the way, everybody, Big Mike is single. He's single now. Give it up for Big Mike. Single. Oh, Ooh, Nobody clap. <laughs> you guys clap. Um, ladies, please go and take your um, personality what's that, test. What's that thing called, Mike? Myers Briggs. Take your Myers Briggs. personalities.com. Take it. Send free. it in. Send it in. No. We will um, look over it and get back to you. Yeah. That's just one thing. Okay. Number seven. Number yep. seven in the final one. Lacking drum roll here. There's this idea that old farts aren't innovative. Right. Tell that to Warren Buffett. Good point. Wow. And on that note. Drop the mic, literally. I mean, that's it? That's all you guys Look, have to say? <laughs> listen, that's, that's all you really have to say. Look, it, it's People? past presidents. Look, anyone can learn anything as long as their mind isn't, you know, got Alzheimer's or, or disease and they're old and their mind is functioning properly. They can come up with any ideas. In fact, a lot of the researchers that I know that are, you know, in science, the really smart ones are the really old ones. You want to hear and a they good, know their depth is just amazing what they know. You want to hear a good quote that I read online? Yeah. So they say, why does Kanye West need a million dollars to create an idea when Benjamin Franklin discovered electricity with a fucking kite? You know, like think about it. You don't seem very impressed with that. That's okay. I was. And I'm like, it's true. You're like, Benjamin Franklin was old and he went outside and was like, oh, I'll put a key on this kite. I'll slide the fly star. Oh, electricity. You didn't have any money? And he was old. Yeah. 
Look at Kanye West. He's like, I need a billion dollars to do what? I don't know. I'm sure he's Wipe your ass? I mean, what? you know, but I'm just saying, like, think about it. Like, We should get Kanye on the show and ask him that. I'll ask him if he wipes right. his ass with a billion dollars. All right. Really? Yeah, for sure. Why not? What's he going to do? Sue me? Walk out. Bye. <laughs> oh, look at you. See? Big bitch. Don't let wow. the door hit you where the good Lord split you. All right. Wow. Um, <laughs> yeah, so old I, I think that the, the lesson in this might be a little different, Michael. What? Michael. And that there's this idea that, you know, the old aren't innovative. But, like, I think about this sometimes. No, here's the deal, okay? The old guys are the smart ones. They're the ones leading and guiding the young ones. The young ones got the energy, okay? When you're young, you got a lot of energy. Oh, does, does this guy, the older guy who's been around and he's already got his money saved up and, and you know, he doesn't want to work 18, 20 hours a day, the youth are programmed to do that because they have a system in place. That's what they have to do to get ahead. And so in youth, they have all the energy. And that's why when you're young, you got to hit it hard because that's when you're physically fit. The older guys aren't. So they, they sit back and tell the younger ones to do because it has a lot to do with the energy reserves of what they have. It gets down to it. I, I agree with that, but I think there's one thing in there that we might be missing. And so when I was five, yeah. my mom and her new husband moved to Mexico. So we all moved to Mexico. And my context was I was the only white kid in Mexico. So I had to learn Spanish. See, si. And so my Mira. mom's context was the same and my stepdad's was the same. But how come five years later I was still interpreting for them? Because I learned Spanish in six months, and five years later, it, it, they okay, still didn't so, know the language. And so here, here in language, when you're younger, you can learn a language much faster than when you're older. That is a fact. That is true. Again, more power, you're young, more horsepower, get the young people to do the work. Yeah, so I would say, but it, it's the same thing when you're younger, is you can learn more, retain more, absorb more. And so start young, like attack it and get serious about it young. And then understand you're going to need the older generation for the money. You're not going to scale. Nothing happened at Facebook without a 60-year-old guy investing $100 million. Right. Right. And he understood when he heard a great idea. Your accountants are going to be old. You don't want a young accountant. I know. And so, I mean, the idea is put in the work and learn as much as you can as young as you are, because that gives you a huge head start. Like that's the one thing I maybe regret is not studying the stuff that we study now when I was younger. Oh, I wish. I mean, I studied a little bit of it, but then I, I drank from the fire hose for some time. I wish I would have done that a lot younger, but I didn't know where to go find the information. Also too, I think I thought I knew it all a little bit too much. Like I love that saying, like, I wish I was 17 and I knew it all again. And so understand that being young has its advantages, but if you want to move quick, understand that you know nothing. Just learn. Just watch. Pay attention. Respect the older generation and sure. pick everything you can out of them. So one of my corporate offices, it's in bright colors, has big bold pictures on there, and I tell everybody, I want you when you walk in here to be in the most creative state that you were in your life, and that was when you were a child. I literally want them to start thinking like kids again and being free of thought and, and don't worry about failure and come into this environment and just have fun and think about things in a different way. And I use bright colors and things to take them back to that time in their life when they were most creative. I love that. And so 
yes, there are some advantages. And you can also bring yourself back into that state as you were as a creative child and think, uh, I do it all the time. I got, geez, I'm curious as like crazy. Can we do that right now? I want to hear what you think. About what? When you were a little child. Oh. How do we take you back to when you were a little child? Man. I want to Eat talk some to edible. The, I want to talk to the ten-year-old Mike. Ten-year-old Mike. Hey, you know what? I wish I could go back and, and talk to that ten-year-old Mike. I think me too, man. I'd have a yep. be a quick conversation. <laughs> the I think the bigger lesson in all of that is that there's stories of Colonel Sanders starting KFC when he's in his eighties or something. I don't know. He's really old. And then there's Zuckerberg and Steve Jobs that were millionaires in their 20s or whatever very young and neither one of those really are the lesson that's a distraction the lesson is that there's a crowd out there that's hungry for something and you serve up the product to them and whether you're 80 or you're 20 if you do that and execute on it in the right way money's gonna flow your way it's more about the problem you solve and how you execute than it is your age correct yeah i agree well said but the younger you are the more you should respect the older generation because they might have paid the the lesson that you're going to learn the hard way you think your idea is great but you're not thinking five six seven moves ahead because you've never been there before this guy or woman knows that she's been down that road a hundred times yeah and she's thinking about things that you aren't thinking about i see that all the time and i go man you don't know like this this this." doesn't go like you really that's exactly what's going to happen that's what's going to go down and sure enough it does like how did you know i don't know just did the biggest proof of ideas aren't the answer is Shark Tank. I, lo- I love watching Shark Tank and seeing these people come on there with great ideas and they don't have money yeah. and they don't know how to scale. And they're not coming and anywhere. They're miss- yeah, they're missing a lot of the, you know, the answers. So the ideas are easy to copy. Age is irrelevant. What's most important is find a hungry crowd and then deliver something to them at a high margin and try to keep as much of the margin as you can. Yes. Yeah. With systems and processes guns all right guys that was good gamification so i'll just recap these the first one was education um and entrepreneurship are incompatible the second one was that great products don't need marketing the third one that successful businesses are based on the best ideas number four was there's this idea that smart employees don't need to be managed Number five was customers don't know what they need. Number six is success will either come quickly or not at all. And number seven, old farts aren't innovative. I just really want to do that every time you said farts. (laughs) Thank you. That was good. It was great. Yeah, thank you guys. Chris Collins, Big Mike, Jamie Foxx, Business Outlaws. Stay tuned. All right.